This is an Area Code podcast. You're listening to Table of Malcontents, where Aaron Armstrong, Dave Schrader, and Scarlett Hildebeidel talk about the books they love and a few they really don't to help you be a better reader. Welcome to today's episode of Table Malcontents. I'm Aaron, and with me, as always, are Scarlett and Dave. Guys, this is a big, big deal for us in our journey of remote podcasting because <laughs> Dave's audio finally doesn't sound like trash. I'm so um, happy about this. Yeah, I'll try not to take too much offense to that. I'm the last one to the microphone, <laughs> the professional microphone zone. So doesn't mean I won't be... Uh, snorting like a cocaine lord of the 80s, <laughs> but, but I will do my best to sound professional. I may even go into like a, like, I may go into like a sportscaster voice at some point, you know, trying to do like replay or something like that. But As otherwise, you I will do my best. We should best. test that out. Yeah. We should All right. What, out does, this, what does Dave episode. the uh, sportscaster sound like exactly? Um, well, this is a good lead in. To our, our guests, because I feel like, uh, and, and yes, Chris Martin is joining us uh, because Chris and I are big sports fans. Aaron, let me tell you what sports are real quick. All right. Sports are, are games that you can play or watch. And I'm already bored. We, we, we like a sport that involves, you know, a baseball and a bat and a glove. And yeah, you're out there in the heat. You like it's to beat fun. people? It's this not is being a game? played right now. No, no. <laughs> That sport's not being played this year, nor will it probably be played for the rest of the year or next year. We're pretty much done, and we need to find a Korean baseball team to get behind right now. Um, so, Chris, would you agree? Welcome to the podcast, Chris Martin. Yeah, I would agree. Thank you. Thanks for having me. Um, I didn't realize this is a sports podcast. Armstrong, I'm surprised you're I didn't you're here. either. I quit. Uh, uh, yeah, <laughs> I'm, I'm out. Today. I'm out. Uh, uh, yeah, I have not found a Korean baseball team yet. For those of you who are unaware, that's the, that's about the only baseball you can find anywhere right now is uh, in South Korea. So I do follow a few general baseball Twitter accounts that are tweeting some pretty, pretty funny, pretty cool Korean baseball league content, uh, from time yeah. to time. And they, it looks like they're having a lot of fun over there. So it's pretty cool to see. You have to. And it's really funny to watch ESPN bring American commentators or color commentators over to Korea to, uh, yeah. to, to, and they don't know what's going on because there's so many quirks that go on in the game. And, and if you've seen even, even some things on social media, you'll see like there's some teams that will put teddy bears and other stuffed animals in people's seats. Since remember, there still aren't people at games. Yeah. But they, <laughs> they're making, you know Pretty what? Funny. They're making it amusing. So you got to do what you got to do. Whereas in, in the international soccer slash football world, they are, even though they don't have fans either, they're playing previously, uh, you know, crowd noise, essentially like chants from the team, from the, from the supporters. So it's just funny to see how everyone does it to keep it interesting. Yeah. Um, I'm still watching, so I think it's fun. There you go. Uh, I, I haven't watched a live sporting event uh, since, I don't know, sometime in the spring, I guess spring training baseball. I haven't, I'm not a soccer guy, so I haven't dove into any of that stuff. And 
So yeah, I'm I'm uh I was watching we were talking about before we started recording, we were talking about the Sammy Sosa Mark McGuire special that was on uh ESPN this past weekend. And right before that came on, they were showing the two thousand home run derby, which was fun to see uh, you know, Carl Everett and Carlos Carlos Delgado, some old school guys from when I was a kid playing baseball and hitting home runs. So it was kind of funny. <laughs> yeah. It's, the sports uh, portion of this podcast is really going to uh be a higher percentage than just oh, that. I mean, you know, just <laughs> Yeah, For the everybody listener who's still here. Um. <laughs> Aaron's going to title this with like a timestamp. Like, please begin listening after this. Yeah, we can, we can get into the meat of our conversation. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I, I'll say one more thing before we do a more f- official introduce an introduction of Chris. Uh, I, I had my kids, my girls who are 10 and 12, watch the last like – 30 minutes of the Sosa McGuire uh, show, which was fascinating. It's very nostalgic. And it really was the year to bring back baseball for America because a few years prior to that was a strike that alienated a lot of core fans. And uh, it being America's pastime, or at least it was because it's pastime, um, it's really losing more and more people every day right now. But uh, I mean, but it's never lost less, me on just this episode. I know, I know. But man, it was exciting. <laughs> but, but it brought people who weren't even... I've decided to never begin right now. <laughs> oh, come on. Yeah. It's hard. I'm not going to be one of those. It's like I'm done with baseball, but I'm frustrated. I'm mad. I'm done but, with yeah, Dave I'm, on baseball. Oh, come on. No, no, no. One last thing. But it is so fascinating because 90% of the show is all about the race. And then they get to the end. I'm like, when are they going to deal with the steroids? <laughs> yeah. Like, when are they going to talk about this all falling apart and uh, and me having to explain to my daughters about, uh, this is really exciting. This is great. I still love watching it. Then I'm like, oh, it was a sham. You know, it was just both these guys were roided up and uh, they didn't yeah. admit it till later. And it's, yep. uh, it's yeah. And see, that's the only thing I know about that is that that was that there was a lot of steroids and that's what made steroids acceptable in, in professional sports again. Right. So. The, yeah, the thing that, not, not to beleaguer this conversation, but the thing that's crazy is that it wasn't regulated. It wasn't technically illegal, a lot of the stuff they were doing. So, yeah, was it like ethically suspect? Sure. But were they breaking any rules? No, they weren't. And so it's a really interesting, you know, it's kind of like the league had a hard time catching up to what developments were going on in the strength and conditioning world. And so they didn't have, much like our government with, the internet, uh, where, whereas, you know, a lot of world governments in general, including the United States are lacking behind in any sort of internet regulation to curtail, you know, people doing terrible things online, major league baseball, were kind of lagging behind this, the strength and conditioning world and didn't have regulations in place to prevent people from using certain anabolic, anabolic steroids as they became popular. So what mm-hmm. McGuire and Sosa did was ethically and morally wrong, but by the letter of the law, what they were doing wasn't, wasn't uh, prohibited. So it's kind yeah. of an interesting just phenomenon in general, but it's, it, it is most comparable in some ways to the econ- our economy and the housing market in 2007, 2008, when everyone's making so much money and don't want to address the real problems they just wait until it boils over and then you have an issue. And so even though that's not technically settled (laughs) well enough either, but, but it's, it's kind of like that saying, uh, Hey, listen, yeah. The, the major league baseball main office was like, we're going to turn a blind eye to this because it's a really good thing for the game for everybody to be hitting 
70 homers a season, but we know it's bad, but we're just not going to pretend like we don't see it's happening because we need the game to be resurrected because chicks dig the long ball, as they say. So, um, so the, the home run, the home run was, was bringing people back to baseball. And so they just turned a blind eye to it. Okay. For real, let's get to the meat of this discussion. We need to stop talking. <laughs> okay. That's it. All right. So go read Jose Canseco's book juiced. All right. How about that? There you go. That's your, um, yeah. that's our recommendation. I've never read it, but I'm just going to recommend it just because this All right, is a man, book podcast. This has been a great episode. Chris, thanks for joining <laughs> us for this. This is terrific. There's so many things I want to hear Chris talk about that we yeah. need to get okay, into. All right. I will go in. All right. For those of you who do not know Chris, Chris is the social media wizard of, of Lifeway. Um, but just in social media in general, like we kind of bow down to Chris and say, Chris, what, what should we do? How do we handle this online world? All right. So Chris, is that accurate? Did I get that right? I don't like to think of myself in that way, but a lot of people <laughs> come to me for social media advice. Yeah. And my job at Lifeway is to try to get everyone running in the same direction as it pertains to social media. So yes, that, that yes. would be right. He's a so, social media wizard. He's an author. He's a dad. Yeah, He's right. He's a so new many dad. amazing things. So Chris, yeah. here's an important question for you um, because <laughs> I am almost never in your social media meeting that you run for people. You skip it. You skip it every time. It's because <laughs> I am recording a work-related podcast at that time oh, okay, okay, okay. every week. So, you know, I would love to be there and I'd love to glean your wisdom, but here's what I desperately want to know when, because you are known as the social media wizard, do you wear a pointy hat? (laughs) No, I don't. You should. I have one I can give you from our dress up toy box. Okay. Cool. Yeah. Sweet. Remember when you're as as a dad, dress up clothes are going to be a part of your lifestyle. Yes. So, yes. You know, in like two years. <laughs> right. Yeah. Especially being that I have a daughter. So I, exactly. I, I am. I'm ready for all of that. That's right. Yeah. You just got to go all in and own it. Yep. I want to know how parenting is going. How many parenting books have you read? And how's how it going? many are you writing? <laughs> yeah. Yes. I have a child. I am two months into parenting. I'm ready to write my book now. Um, uh, so I haven't really read many parenting books uh, yet. Um, Susie, my wife and I uh, took like an online class, like a video class. The first time I've ever done something like that um, uh, for sleeping, uh, for like for helping the baby sleep well. Yeah. Um, and that was super helpful. I think it was like 50 or 60 bucks and it was like eight different sessions on how to get your baby to sleep well at night, how to get your baby to nap well. We figured that was a good investment of our time and money. And so we did that. And Susie bought a few books that were recommended. And I know she's read some chapters that kind of largely uh, backed up what the video had said. Um, And, uh, but I haven't, you know, I have actually have parenting books on my bookshelf that I've gathered over the years from uh, things we've just done, you know, in our work at Lifeway or things that have been recommended. And I'm, I'm just kind of holding off waiting on those because so much of it is like, you know, like, discipline or things like that right. where with a two with a two month old it's like i'm just trying to get her to like you know not spit up and sleep well so um it has been one of the one of the nice things about our current moment with the coronavirus pandemic is it, it's you know it's been negative to have a kid amidst the pandemic in a lot of ways like fam it's been hard to get her to be with family or friends or things like that but 
working from home all the time is a tremendous blessing when it comes to this, because in between yeah. meetings or things like that, I can kind of step in and help where, while Susie runs errands or things. And it's been, um, it's really been kind of a, a small blessing amidst all the negative that comes with it. I love that. No, you, um, yeah, the, you, you basically get, cause I, I know you live in Murfreesboro. So that's like 45 minutes of your day each way you get back essentially. Right. Um, yeah. which is yeah. huge. Yeah, yeah, because you know, um, and and when uh, you know you're, you're home all day long with your with your baby or even older child, <laughs> you're ready for your spouse to come home if they've been at work all day. It's, yeah, it's hard for sure, for sure. So yeah, I've had a a variety of uh, scenarios in this where like I'm back in the office now and I, I I enjoy it. It's really not bad. I was able to actually drop one of my daughters and her friend off at. Um, some camps are starting up now. And so drop them off on my way in and, and that's fine. But, uh, but yeah, um, it is, yeah. enables you to have just that much more quality time. Cause they're all, they're also yeah. not as busy. I mean, it's funny, like Chris, like you are, you need, need good intimate time, you know, you with, you, you know, with an infant daughter and, what that affords you is, especially as you grow up, you realize like, man, it's life's going to get that much busier. The more you appreciate yeah. this time, I don't want to be in a rush again when it comes to kids. I want to yeah. appreciate having a nice pace of life, which is probably how it yeah. should be. So that's yeah, great. Good. I love that. Well, enjoy your, your time at home. I know everyone's yeah. there. Eventually they'll make us go back in full, yeah. full, full zone. You know, that means traffic. It means everything, but it'll be different. We'll just have to, see. I'm, just have to see. I'm holding out hope. I could do this. I could do this for, you know, and what's nice is like I've had a dedicated space to work in my house for, you know, since we moved into this house. Cause when we moved into this house, I was working from home almost full time. And so I understand for a lot of people working from home has been a lot more difficult because they don't have dedicated spaces or whatever. But thankfully for us right now, our situation is just such that it's really been more of a convenience than a, than a hindrance. So I've been thankful. That's great. Yeah. Um, well, Chris, while, while, while we're at it too with social media, so I've seen you post some things that have made me smile because I can tell you have this deep appreciation for social media, but you also loathe the aspects of it. So break that down for us. Like working in the world, it's hard enough. Like I don't work directly in it, although I use it. I think it's there's a lot of good things about it, but well, I won't go any further. I'd love to hear your thoughts on kind of why, how you've gotten into social media professionally, not just from yeah. a social standpoint personally. Yeah. Um, you know, I'm, I'm just 29. So, um, you know, I grew up in middle school with you know, elementary school was AOL Instant Messenger. Um, middle school <laughs> was MySpace and AOL Instant Messenger. And then... <laughs> early mid high school is when Facebook was really, uh, yeah, like junior years when Facebook was opened up to beyond, uh, college students. So really like I, you know, I didn't grow up with social media in my pocket like kids today are, but I did grow up with social media, um, at my, you know, at my, in my computer, uh, desk thing at, at my parents' house growing up. So, um, I've always been interested in it since then. And so professionally, um, you know, I have no degree in social media. I have a Bible, I have a biblical literature undergrad and an MDiv. All my social media stuff is kind of like self-taught or self-educated and 
from experience. Um, but it's always been interesting to me just how people connect through the internet and the effects that such a connection has. And naturally it's evolved over time um, just because of the, the platforms themselves have evolved and how we interact with them have, has, has evolved. The, the means have evolved. So I do have a love hate relationship with social media. Like it's, that's kind of a cliche or a trope, but like, I really do. Um, I, I tell people often that, you know, if I'm meeting them for the first time or having some conversation about social stuff, whether it be in our work at Lifeway or with an outside person, I, I, have to, I often have to put a disclaimer, like, look, I'm probably the most anti-social media, social media person you've ever met. <laughs> um, because, uh, you know, like we were talking about beforehand, like we had a daughter in April and like we're, we don't post pictures of her online. I don't know how long that will persist. Like, I don't know if that will be until she's old enough to, to start her own profile of whatever sort that looks like at that time. Or if when she's, you know, 10, we'll feel comfortable or, you know, I don't know, but I, it's, we've had to explain that to family or, or things like that. Like, you know, we can text you or things, you know, email you, but we're not going to post it publicly online just because I'm too close to it to know how that stuff can be misused. And, Hmm. and I don't want Facebook to know my kid exists, honestly, uh, or at least what she looks like. So, um, so I do have a love hate relationship. What I love about it is that it connects us to people, to cultures, to ideas that we would have never experienced otherwise. So, you know, a, a 25 year old who grew up in Des Moines, Iowa, you know, in the nineties and two thousands experienced a lot more diverse views, opinions, cultures, things like that than a 25 year old growing up in Des Moines, Iowa would have seen in the 1960s or something like that. Um, and, and in large part, that's because of the internet, you know, the internet connects us to people all around the world who think differently, act differently, believe differently. And I think that's good. Um, and so I think, and, and I just love, like, it's a great source of entertainment, you know, like I, Twitter's my social media platform of choice because I'm a glutton for punishment. No, but because, <laughs> um, but because I, I don't know why I just like the mode there uh, and how, how we communicate, but like I, I use Twitter largely to follow comedians or sports stuff or video game stuff, just like interests of mine that are entertaining or funny or interesting. Um, I don't really use social to like, I don't, I don't use Twitter for the most important conversations in my life. I don't use it to de- debate or discuss theology anymore. I used to. And then I realized that the medium was not best for the message in that way, in my opinion. Um, so I use it for more like lighthearted stuff. I mean, also some deep social stuff, but what I don't like about social is there are more things I don't like about social than I do like, but in terms of strength, what I do like is very strong. Um, what I don't like is the manipulation that takes place in the algorithms and various, a lot of people don't think about how the platforms are engineered for behavior modification and I think we all need to be more aware of that. It's like a fish doesn't know, like if you say, hey, how's the water? And the fish says, what's water? Because the fish doesn't know any different. In the same way, people, we don't know the algorithms that are, in, that are behaviorally engineering us and causing us to act in certain ways. And even if we don't delete our social media accounts, I do think we need to be aware of those things. Um, and so I don't like the manipulation that takes place. I don't like the privacy concerns um, 
rife on Facebook platforms specifically. I don't like cancel culture. I don't like echo chambers. Just a, a lot of negative that comes from social. Part of it we're to blame for, and we were doing even before social exists. Part of it, social media did pour gasoline on the fire and, and make things worse. So I don't think social media are neutral tools uh, that can be, you know, that, that aren't inherently bad or negative. I do think there are things baked into social media that are inherently bad. Um, and we should just be aware of them. Even if we don't abandon them, we should just be aware of them. So that's a little bit of what I love and hate. So, so you're saying Facebook, I just want to make sure I heard you clearly, you're saying Facebook has, has made it worse more than Twitter? Yeah, I think so. Okay. Um, yeah. 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 Twitter is now Twitter does have algorithms which are relatively recent, um, but Twitter's algorithms are less complex and less governed around um, keeping attention and driving engagement as, and quite frankly, their algorithms just aren't as good. They aren't as advanced. Twitter knows less about its users than Facebook does. So the data that Twitter uses to build its algorithms to deliver you content that's interesting uh, is not going to be as accurate as Facebook's algorithms are. Fa basically, Facebook knows you better than Twitter knows you. So Facebook's manipulation is going to be more effective than Twitter's manipulation. And you can still go back to a Twitter timeline that's governed chronologically and not by like what's interesting or whatever. You, you still have that option there. You know, I, um, I, I definitely... I, I there, there are so many things I do appreciate social media for in terms of information. Um, I think what I get overwhelmed by on top of everything you mentioned about the the negative aspect of people piling on each other, kind of hiding behind a rock and and throwing grenades over at other people, you know, uh, that, that bothers me. Um, but there's this other thing, which is, you know, I was talking with a few people about yesterday. I said, you know, I remember kind of, you know, seeing on Twitter, uh, you know, this is, uh, by the way, just so you know, when we're recording, we're recording on June 17th and Wednesday, or this is, this will post next week. But, uh, you know, yesterday I get notifications about India and China, you know, clashing, you know, in the Himalayas, which is, you know, they've been doing that for decades, 50, 60, 70 years, depending on how you look at it in terms of the latest clashes. But the point is with it is, you know, I kind of feel this kind of weight. I'm like, oh no, not another conflict, you know. Then I realize, wow, am I am I supposed to know all these things? Am I supposed to know everything going on in the world? Um, no matter how major or minor it is, because I can't do anything about it. Um, at least I don't think so. Um, but I remember, yeah, that was on Twitter when I saw that. I'm like, what, what, what does that mean? Then I asked myself, well, what does that mean? Does that mean there's like some full scale, scale war or is this just another clash the way Pakistan and India do over the sim over a similar region? But, you know, again, the point is like that's just one of 30, 40 things that you're kind of bombarded with per day if you're scanning through Twitter and you really don't know what's my role in this um, other than just being informed, like you're reading the newspaper of old, you know, is that what it is? But I don't, I never read the newspaper back in the day with that kind of anxiety, more just the fact of, okay, I wanted to know what happened yesterday. <laughs> you know, it's going to come and gone and that was it. So uh, yeah, I don't know what to do with that, but I, I do feel sometimes a little overwhelmed by that. Um, 
Perhaps it's why I have a comfort in books, but yeah, go ahead, Chris. There's a, um, my favorite book of all time is Amusing Ourselves to Death by Neil Postman, Mm -hmm. uh, published in 1985. It's the most relevant book for social media ever published in my opinion. And it was written in, you know, in 1985 before social media really existed as we know it today. Mm -hmm. Um, He has a chapter called Now This, which talks about, it's particularly talking about television news, but um, the phenomenon you're talking about where you're asking yourself, do I even need to know this? Like, should I know all of these things? And it's kind of crippling and overwhelming. That phenomenon was going on when people went from radio to TV because Walter Cronkite was giving them things happening around the world that they would have never known about otherwise. Now we're experiencing that same thing, just ratcheted up exponentially even more. And I can't find the exact quote I was looking for, but as we sit here, I did find a good quote that I think is relevant. He says in his chapter on now this, he says, in fact, it is quite obvious that TV news has no intention of suggesting that any story has any implications for that would require viewers to think about when it is done uh, and therefore obstruct their attending to the next story that waits panting in the wings. In any case, viewers are not provided with much opportunity to be distracted from the next story, since in all likelihood, it will consist of some film footage. And what he's talking about is that we're being delivered news and current events um, in such a way that their content to be consumed or things to be entertained by or fascinated by and not any real items on which we can act. So I think part of the reason we get so overwhelmed, because I a long time ago, I unfollowed, actually during the 2016 election, I unfollowed all news outlets on any social media platform I follow, um, on any social media platform I want. So I don't follow news on Twitter at all. Now I follow like a couple sports reporters or like tech columnists, but I don't follow like CNN or ABC or any of the major news outlets because I was getting overwhelmed. And I think what happens is we consume so much of what's going on in the world and we don't, we don't practically have an outlet to act on virtually any of that other than complaining about it on social, which is a, which is sort of a means of like, it's like an exhaust vent of like, I just took in all of this terrible information. I have to, I have to output it somewhere somehow but my wife doesn't care that I just, you know, watched all of this or read all of this. So I guess I'll just complain to everybody on Twitter about it. And that's a sort of like, we take this input of information and we don't know what to do with it. So we just output it right back to where we found it and we're just overwhelmed by it all. So I think what you're onto is a very valid point. Yeah. I mean, the, uh, that was written in the 80s or 90s? Sorry, I didn't hear that correctly. 85. 85. 85 <laughs> Something about the 80s uh, that, that is prophetic. Um yeah, I mean, 1984, what's that classic quote? Uh, you know, whoever controls uh, the past controls the future. Whoever controls the present controls the past. There's a, not not that I want to do some sort of discussion in terms of like how to look at government, but the reality is what social media provides if, is if you're scanning pieces of it um, and you lock in on someone who, whatever social media outlet has deemed you to, be honed in on because of the algorithm you're going to focus in on that that's really only news you're getting and you kind of keep going down that rabbit hole of of information um which scary not that i you know want to go too much in 1984 this talk but 
<laughs> the point, you know what the point of all this, Chris, is that books are good. They have context and they provide the, thought on how to deal with this. <laughs> two, two more thoughts, brief thoughts on this conversation. At the end of that chapter on now this, I found the quote I was looking for. He says, um, talking about the 20, like he says, he's going to cite 22 minutes here, which would have been the evening news minus ads, right? So it has not been demonstrated. It has not yet been demonstrated whether a culture can survive if it takes the measure of the world in 22 minutes. So what he says there is, we don't know if, we, if we're meant to, to hear what's going on in the world in a 22-minute news segment. Like, can, can we bear that burden? Like, really, can we bear that burden? Now, forget 22 minutes and look at five minutes on your Twitter feed. Um, like, if, if he's asking the question in 1985, can we bear the burdens of hearing what's going on in the world in 22 minutes? Imagine what he would think if he saw us trying to bear the burdens of the news going on in the world instantaneously on Twitter all day long uh, or on Facebook or whatever else. To, yeah. your, thing on, to your thing on Orwell and, and what I'm going to include is Huxley, um, what, what Postman says is, you know, a lot of us – Everyone freaks out about 1984, George Orwell, and the government taking over everything, which there are possibly legitimate concerns there. But what Huxley, what what Postman said is that um, we ought to be more concerned about entering a brave new world scenario rather than a 1984 scenario. Orwell in 1984, Postman writes, Orwell feared that we would, that what we hate will ruin us, right? So that the government's going to take over. Orwell feared that what we hate will ruin us. Huxley feared that what we love will ruin us. So Orwell talked about the banning of books. Fahrenheit 451 talked about the burning of books. Huxley said, no one's going to have to do that because we're not going to care about books anymore. Hmm. And what Postman says is he's concerned we're headed more toward a Huxleyan future rather than an Orwellian future. We don't have, we don't fear people burning books because who cares? Wow. Well, and certainly what we're seeing in our current culture, I mean, if you look at trends on reading, um, you know, you're lucky if the average person these days reads more than one or two books a year. Yeah. It, it goes to show with a million and a half books publishing each year in the United States alone, that is still what the average American does in terms of reading it's scary right. um there are certain people who are reading more than ever i mean a lot of people listen to this podcast which i love but i mean the reality we're we're, is, the, we're holding back this huxleyan future um <laughs> you know by tens of listeners every week guys that's what well, we're like, doing i think reading is such a healthier way to consume informa information what so dave when you asked the question I was thinking, oh, I don't know if there's an answer to that question, but listening to you guys talk about it, I think there's a very clear answer, which is it's bad for us. And, you know, I'm not a social media expert. I'm a not expert, but my whole thing I talk about, write about, speak about is anxiety. And I can't tell you how many conversations I've had with people um, like, why wasn't anxiety around when I was a kid? You know, older people who are interviewing me about my anxiety book. And the thing I've pointed to, and again, no social media expert here, but I've said the same thing. Like the fact that we, what you said, Dave, that we know too much <laughs> and too often and, and we can't do anything about it. So like when you pick up a book about history or, you know, the future or anything, you pick up a book, it, you're digesting information. You can think about it. You can, 
I don't know. It's just, it's too constant. We're desensitized. And I think we're all anxious and anxiety was never talked about before this generation. Right. I mean, um, and, but we're addicted. Like you said, Chris, it's like, we're, <laughs> we're willingly involved in this thing that is making us unhealthy and we're all addicted to it. And mm-hmm. we, we want to be healthy, but we don't want to not know what's going on in the world. Yeah. So I don't know. Yeah. Um, I've gone through these phases where I, and social media, I, I just don't feel like I have anything to add to the conversation. So I need to be absolutely okay with being willing not to say something. I'm, I'm not making a living off social media too. So I, I um, but when I was working in it, um, in terms of book promotion, absolutely. I felt this pressure. Like I need to know what's going on. Get to know uh, what's happening. So it, forces me to want to know what's going on to want to to scan more and thus I have more of those feelings and I realize I have to get away from this this is not helpful and being what does it matter in terms of being the first to know anymore Um, which is still a social pressure like who wants to be the first one to find out about this so what you know (laughs) so what I need time to process it anyway the problem is it doesn't matter until you have that time that's why my mind always goes especially everything that's gone on in 2020 so far saying wow I'm going to be so fascinated to read the history books about this time Mm -hmm. when they will eventually be written and people are trying to rush out books you know about which um, I'm not talking about the uh, Christian books of encouragement of of how about coronavirus and everything else, but I just mean looking at with all the information that can be researched, all the context available at that time. How do you sum up everything that happened? And boy, it'll be fascinating, and there'll be a lot. And and, and also to your point, Chris, there could be people who could just take a slant at it just because they're getting their information from one area and they're not interested in wide research. They're interested in just saying, I'm going to hone in in this area because social media has helped them to hone in on one particular area. Sure. So yeah, that's a little scary. That's, I mean, that's a real, I'm really glad you brought that to, to, to read. I've, I've not uh, read any of that and yeah, listeners will put that in the show notes. It's fascinating. Wow. Yeah. So do you have hope? About social? Well, just uh, or just yeah. the world in general, really. <laughs> general. <laughs> you know, do you have hope that social media that that we can find a way? Because if there's one thing I've noticed, it's people I mean, people for better or worse are correcting each other, but the problem is the people who are correcting in a perhaps a healthy way get you know, they start throwing rocks at those people too. So I don't know. What do you think? Well, oh yeah, sorry. Go ahead, Scarlett. No, I was just going to say, this has been oversaid so much, but it's like right now it's toxic is the word that everyone uses. You know, you go onto any social media platform and there's just so much anger. But, and I've talked about this with so many people, especially right now as there are so many things being debated, but then you you talk to your friends and you step outside of the social media atmosphere and people are not talking like that. You know, this is, I know this has been oversaid, but no, sorry, but I forgot it's, where I was going. But it's, yeah, I, I don't know. Sorry, go yeah. ahead. No, it is worth saying though. I mean, just the fact that there is something about the medium that removes the personal aspect of of it where you for where honestly you forget that people are act that the people behind a um 
a Facebook profile or a Twitter or a Twitter handle, um, with the exception of the of the Russian bots. We understand that those are things, but um, you know, aside from those and weird evangelical Twitter bot too, but. Um, <laughs> But I think it's kind of fun. Like, there's actually a hu- there's actually <laughs> someone who's theoretically a human being behind that. Yeah, and um, often the person who seems so angry on social media, when you go and go ahead and text them, they're just your friend. You know. <laughs> you know. Thank you for doing that. I appreciate that. By the way. <laughs> well, <laughs> what? No, but no. On a serious note, Scarlett. I mean, that's absolutely it. I've gotten in. Uh, I, you know, I, I, there have been times I post something and someone has, we, we've talked about this before. I think you got to get to the point in saying, Hey, listen, let's take this offline and talk about it. If you really believe like, we, this doesn't have to be a public, not, who said this had to be a public forum in terms of like deep discussion, because I can't read your body language or the tone of your voice. All I'm getting is text that's inflammatory and is tempting me to do the same if I haven't done that already. Um, I mean, that's like, that's going back to wisdom of what your mom taught you back in the day, you know, of like how to, you know, resolve conflict or talk about ideas or, or I know we kind of make fun of, you know, old debate formats, but what it does is it gives you an opportunity to, have a well thought out point to, to pause, let someone else respond <laughs> and then go back and forth. Like you're in almost a court of law, but it provides time to be able to listen effectively too. So I don't know. The, I don't know if I have hope for social or not. I, I mean, I do in that there's a lot of like every day there's good that comes out of it. I think. Um, I think social media has arguably never been more. In, I have a podcast called Social Cues where we talk about social stuff, uh, and um, we argued, we didn't argue, we talked, uh, defended the idea the other day, a couple weeks ago, about um, the fact that social media has never been more important than it is right now for Americans between coronavirus and protests about racism and police brutality, social media has never played a more central role in the most important conversations and topics of the day than it is right now. And I think it's playing a a largely positive role. I think it's also playing a negative role, Um, but I think it's doing a lot of good right now and it's playing the most important, like the, it's, um, it's being used to its fullest capacity in ways that I've never seen um, in positive and negative ways. But the reason I say, I don't know if I have hope is I think in the life of social media, it's had a dramatically net negative effect on society rather than positive. Everyone can cite positive experiences that they've had on social. I have friends, really good friends that I've met first through social. Um, So, I think there are a lot of positives. I think societally and like globally in terms of things that we've become okay with or the privacy concerns that come along with it or things like that, there are massively negative implications that outweigh our anecdotal positive experiences. So I think 
do I have hope for it? I don't know because it's made up of people and people are messed up, mm-hmm. myself included. So social media is, um, we need to see it less as a thing and more as the collective actions of us. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, are there, I think, and like I've said before, it's not neutral. There are systems set up within social media designed to, modify our behavior and make us addicted to the platforms themselves. So I do think the platforms themselves are, are more negative than neutral, but I think ultimately what we do with them is more of a reflection on us as people than it is on the platforms themselves. We only widely share conspiracy theories. Yeah. The platforms like Facebook encourages such action, but we have to be interested in it to begin with. Um, Facebook encourages you know, the widespread sharing of content that's interesting to people. So if conspiracy theories weren't interesting to us, that stuff would die. So, but it, so it starts with us, even if the platforms exacerbate the issues. Mm-hmm. Right. Well, that's what I was going to ask you, Chris, is I was going to say, it's like, if it's an addict, well, I think it's, we're all addicted to it. And just like anything, anything, food, alcohol, like some people are going to show restraint and have healthy, um, boundaries with it and other people are going to get swept up in it and love the drama and be addicted to the drama. But I think I, like, I know that it is set up with algorithms because I posted about this the other day. I thought it was funny that there was a thing about like the horrific thing that happens to you when you get sucked into a black hole. And I thought it was funny that Facebook knew, you know, I talk about fear and anxiety all the time. Of course I'm going to click on that. And I thought it was funny and I know it knows me, but largely I think I usually think of it as, you know, it's a personal thing. And if, if it's messing me up, it's because I am spending too much time on it. But I rarely think about the fact that it's setting me up to fail. So, so it's like, it's different than if it was just a thing, like, like a chat room, like you're talking about AOL instant messenger, like you go into a chat room and you are who you are. And whatever happens in the chat room is whatever the people who are there put into it. But if it's setting us up to fail, then it's, it is a bad thing. So do you think that there's hope for that being a thing people become aware of and maybe some kind of new platform comes up or the platform changes in a way that is just more neutral? It's possible. I think the thing that we all have to remember is that if we're using a platform um, and we're using it for free, we're the product, not the customer. So more specifically, our data is the product. We're not the customer. So the reason we can use Facebook for free is that our data pays the bills and more of Facebook. Um, if if uh, if Facebook were free and they weren't running ads, it would go away. Um, and the way they run ads is they have our attention and they have our data so they can run ads yeah. that are super effective to us, more effective than a typical billboard or something like that. So I don't think there's any way to have a sort of neutral, <laughs> privacy-interested platform Scary, that has more that says a lot uh, that mitigates some of those negative effects. Until there's a social media platform that we're paying for, uh, at, and even then, I would be skeptical. Um, but <laughs> if we're paying for a platform, that means they don't have to sell our data in order to make a profit and hmm. and exist, and that would that would take away one of the most negative consequences of using social. So I think it's possible for a sort of neutral, non-invasive social media 
platform to exist, but we'd have to pay for it. And immediately when you charge for it, it's not going to be, it's not going to be Facebook because people (laughs) don't want people, people don't, there aren't enough people who care about Mm. their privacy enough to pay to protect it. Hmm. Wow. Yep. What one quote that I want to read from Sean Parker, first president of Facebook. If you've seen the social network, he's depicted by Justin Timberlake. Um, <laughs> accurate, accurate depiction right there. So and actually kind of look alike. Yeah. Um, so he said, um, I forget when he said it. He said it a couple of years yeah. ago. Um, he said, we need to sort of give you a little dopamine hit every once in a while because someone liked or commented on a photo or a post or whatever. It's a social validation feedback loop. Yeah. Exactly the kind of thing that a hacker like myself would come up with because you're exploiting a vulnerability in human psychology. Hmm. That's what these platforms are designed to do. He goes on, the inventors, creators, me, Mark Zuckerberg, Kevin Systrom of Instagram, it's all these people, we understood this consciously and we did it anyway. It literally changes your relationship with society, with each other. It probably interferes with productivity in weird ways. God only knows what it's doing to our children's brains. Um, there's all kind of data that now tells us it's doing terrible things to our children's brains. But mm-hmm. we have to, I think we have to be aware that social media, Facebook and Instagram specifically, by the admission of the people who started and have maintained these platforms – these things are designed to get us addicted and to keep us on and keep our attention so that they can sell ads at any, at any cost. Like these platforms don't have their users best interest in mind. And so we just need to be aware of that. Wow. Chris, this has been awesome. Uh, I, and scary and I don't want to be, the, I, I don't want to be overly negative. Like, no, but well, no, no because this was you the know, positive conversation about social media. <laughs> Uh, no, absolutely. No, and I think like anything, there's, there's, it's, it's like anything in the world. It can be used for good or bad. And unfortunately, we're playing off of a lot of our own insecurities, as you said. And also, um, yeah, that Sean Parker quote is scary because there's someone who says, I see money in all of this. Okay, now you take someone who has um, even more sinister goals of what to do with social media. Right. Um, I mean, money is not inherently, well, I mean, <laughs> it's the root of all evil. Yes. Right. Uh, biblically it is in that way, but also it can be used for good. Right. So you can't say anyone who's just trying to make money off of it, but it's what you do sure. with it after that. And I think everything we've talked about is that next step of like, what are you doing with it? That's creating division. That is, um, tribalizing people in a negative way <laughs> and that's uh yeah. and that's it right there so um well chris we want to respect your time because i know you've got to go to something but um yeah i don't know if you have any further thoughts but also um you know we <laughs> we don't have a ton of time but if you had if you did have a chance to think about this uh we we occasionally will do this sucker punch of the week and it may be the very topic we <laughs> talked about um, and so Aaron, do you want to explain it further for, uh, for Chris? Basically the big idea of it is, is to take a moment to, to talk about, um, a particular book, genre, topic, fictional, non-fictional character, whatever that's just grinding your gears and you need to get that off your chest. 
I would. So I went with the character route because it was the easy. I didn't want to. I didn't want to knock yeah. any like authors or anything like that. Um, <laughs> okay. <laughs> I I would have zero conscience problem just repeatedly punching Dolores Umbridge in the face. Uh, Dolores Umbridge, <laughs> if you aren't aware, is an, a, a, a tremendous villain from the Harry Potter series introduced in Order of the Phoenix, the fifth book. And uh, she really is it's like a, such a well-written villain. It, you cannot help but just ha- like seethingly hate her when you're reading <laughs> when you're reading the books and I've, I've just been doing like it. Uh, I've been going through the audiobooks for the last like eight months or so I've Ooh. had to slow down because I don't have my commute anymore, which is my primary listening time. Mm-hmm. I've been stuck in the last book for a while, but, um, but I just kind of got to re-experience her afresh and the guy who did the voice acting did a really great Dolores Umbridge voice. And it, I just wanted to punch her every time. And, and so that's, <laughs> that's my sucker punch of the week. There we go. Wow. That's good. And then last question, Chris. So what, what are you reading anything right now? Yeah, I'm reading a lot of books in preparation for the book that I'm writing with BNH on social media and, and its effects on us. I'm reading three right now. Uh, I'm reading Humility by Andrew Murray. Um, Ten Arguments for Deleting Your Social Media Accounts Right Now by Jaron Lanier, which is where I saw that Sean Parker quote, though I'd, I'd heard that video before. And then uh, The Attention Merchants by Tim Wu which is all about how our attention is used to make money for people. I love it. Hey, do you have a title yet for the book for next year? No, we have a tentative yeah. title, but I'm not going to share it because I don't, yeah. I don't think it's going to stick, but yeah, that's okay. Yeah. Yeah. Well, we'd love to have you back on to dig sure. more deeper into that in the time right too. But, but for yeah. listeners, you don't know, Chris wrote a great book called millennial Evangel- evangelical, which you wrote a blog on for years too, which is still out in, in print as well, right? Yeah. Yep. It is. Um, you can surely find it on Amazon. Uh, but yeah, the next book, which will be theoretically released in fall 2021 will be primarily focused on like lies that we, that the internet, that the social internet tells us that we believe. So one of them is like reality is relative to my beliefs. Mm -hmm. So the idea that, um, you know, the echo chambers or conspiracy theories or the internet, the social internet, tries to tell us that what we believe is real, no matter how untrue it may be. So that's one of like five or six that we'll walk through in addition to some other stuff. So that's the, that's the focus right now. Love it. Love it. Very cool. Very cool. Well, I look forward to reading it and, uh, it's going to be fun. Can't wait. I love love you guys. Thanks for having me on. Yeah. Anytime, man. All right. Well, I, uh, I'm sorry. I'll miss your meeting again, (laughs) but, uh, (laughs) yeah, sure. It's supposed to be tomorrow. So, you know, you know, it's fine. I do have a record, recording time at that time. You can well, you, you can blame Brian Dembozik for that. So no, no, I'm going to blame you for not having your calendar up to date. Actually, because I'm pretty sure. Okay, well, maybe I'll need to reschedule that meeting then. There you Awkward. go. Awkward. It's getting weird now. <laughs> <laughs> Better end it, Aaron. All right. Well, <laughs> on that note, um, Chris, thanks for hanging out with us. This was a lot of fun, um, guys. As always lovely to see you someday we will record in person again but uh (laughs) listeners hope you enjoyed it we will talk to you later bye this is an area code podcast